Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Carmojan and Gemma Young. Claire Carmojan is a Group Chief Innovation Officer at Societe Generale, or SOCGEN, and is a member of the Group's Management Committee. She is the Chairman of the Investment Fund SG Ventures and is Executive Chairman of the Fintech Trezor. Claire started her career at Capgemini Consulting, spent seven years in the UK at Lloyds Banking. She was Head of Digital Delivery in the Online Services Department, and as their Innovation Officer, set up the Innovation Labs and the Digital Academy. She then made the move from innovation into the world of risk transformation and joined Societe Generale in 2018. She lives in Paris and she joins us this morning, hotfoot from the Eurostar terminal. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good morning. Gemma Young is the founder of At Women of Fintech and Diversitech Hub and has enjoyed more than 17 years in fintech, both as an employee, consultant and also as an entrepreneur. She currently advises firms in the field of diversity and inclusion and has worked both nationally and internationally, helping businesses to grow and scale with a tenure of between four and five years, even in the Middle East. She has traveled to more than 83 countries and as a philanthropist has worked in many charity projects, both in and out of the field of fintech. Gemma, welcome to the show this morning. Hi, thanks for having me. And we're recording this during half term week. And uh, Gemma, being a successful working mother, is joining us today via Skype. I've been looking forward to this conversation a lot because in the field of fintech, we think about on one end of the spectrum, the smallest early stage companies and, of course, to huge transformation innovation projects in large organisations. And to have both of you on the show is fantastic. But what we'd like to do at the beginning is invite each of you to take a minute just to kind of talk us through, you know, what's your main focus for 2020? So, Claire, let me come to you first of all. What, what are you working on this year? So, Julia, two key priorities for 2020. The first one is really to ensure our execution in digital is coming to life. You know, we have to realize Societe Generale is 145,000 people in 61 countries. We invest about 4 billion per year in our digital transformation, and it materialized by more than 65% adoption uh, in the different countries uh, via mobile or online for customers. And also, we launched a huge entrepreneurship program about 18 months ago in Societe Generale, creating 60 startups. And I'm very proud that five of them have been already capitalized. Uh, and that's really a new process uh, of generating innovation, uh, which is a very large-scale program of entrepreneurship. And we really have to understand how this program has worked, you know, through and through. And it's, we, we look as much as the success, and I've talked about some of the success, and the failure. And the second area where we work is obviously there. How do we design, you know, the group, Societe Generale, uh, in 10, in 15 years, what's going to be the diversification of some of our business model, as obviously our industry is under threat, not, not just from fintechs, um, which we often partner with, to be honest. Uh, and uh, we could have seen, for example, Libra, the project of cryptocurrency, which enabling uh, a very different way to store your money, unregulated, uh, but completely change the business model of banking, which is about storing, you know, your deposit and your money uh, by uh, uh, giving this responsibility here to a third uh, 
uh, actor, uh, but that forced us to, you know, think a little bit. And obviously, uh, France and Europe have been much proactive in these topics, um, and we're working actively with uh, policy and regulators in some of these new business models. Wow, two enormous questions, and of course, there's much in that that we'll unpick today on the show. Gemma, let me bring you in at this point. You know, so so from the work that you're doing as well, what are you focused on at the moment? Uh, this year is much about growth. We launched in September Diverse Tech Hub, which is covering all different areas of diversity within fintech. Uh, we successfully launched Women of Fintech a few years ago now, and we really wanted to branch out and cover other areas of diversity. So this year is all about growth and getting more members on board so that we can start producing more STEM projects out there as well. So, so why don't we pick up on that straight away, really? So talk to us about the impact that uh, the initiatives are having and, and how do you measure that? Yeah, of course. So Women of Fintech, I set up as just a pro bono thing when I was pregnant with my fourth child. I had seen over the 17 years of working in the industry that the way you could bank had gone up exponentially, but the way you could come back as a working mother, we were having the same conversations as I was when I was pregnant the first time around 12 years ago. Um, it was really plateaued and low and stagnant. And when I set up Women of Fintech, it was just to see if I could support some other women in the same situation, having been through it a few times myself. Um, And it grew to over 2000 women during my maternity leave. So really organically grew and showed me that there was a real need for supporting women out there, Um, but also became much more than I could do as my, you know, sideline as my pro bono when I also already had four children and a full time job. And so I very quickly looked at how we could turn that into a business model, but I really wanted to turn it into something that was sustainable and also to stop these same conversations. You know, 17 years ago, it was, we need more women in the industry. 17 years later, it's, we need more women in the industry. Um, how can we change that? So I set up a business model where, you know, it's not breaking breaking the rules. It's the same as what lots of people do. It's a membership hub. So people pay to join the community for commercial reasons so they can network and so on. But what we've joined is the empathetic reason for joining. So we use the membership money to fund STEM projects to ensure that we're bringing new people through for the future of fintech. So our Our first STEM project that we did last year was working with BAME children from low-income backgrounds, so really looking at social mobility and teaching them how to code, but also mentoring them as to why they should look at fintech and other jobs. And then we're helping them going forward with things like work experience and making sure they get those opportunities to apply for apprenticeships or graduate schemes and so on. Um, But also teaching girls to code, um, you know, looking at all the different areas of diversity and making sure that we're pulling people through from a grassroots level up. So in making it sustainable, what we're doing is ensuring that there's a positive, not just now about talking about diversity and inclusion, but also a positive for the future by bringing new people through so that we can change this cycle of having the same conversation all the time. It sounds amazing. And and uh, and in terms of if you were going to ask uh, audience listeners to, uh, to get involved, what would you particularly want people to uh, step up and do? The only way of joining up is actually as a member. We decided quite early on with our founding members that we wouldn't go down the route of having any commercial agenda so that we could maintain that we are fully inclusive of everyone. That means that somebody who's a fintech startup can join the membership hub as a member on the same level as a larger organization such as SOCGEN or Lloyd's, say, for example. Um, And the reason that we've done it that way is to maintain inclusion and also 
maintain the fact that we're the only membership community out there without any commercial agenda behind us. We have no sponsorships or partnerships. We literally are out there just to promote diversity and inclusion. Wonderful. Thank you. And and so, Claire, let me bring you in at that point. It is fascinating when you look at organisations of such size and thinking about, you know, your role as a, a senior woman sitting on the senior executive committee and the chair of not only a fund and also a fintech as well. So I'd love your thoughts on how you get involved in the di- diversity conversation as well and, and your experience. Yes, so I, I think, you know, obviously my first contribution is uh, to held my uh, role model position, <laughs> which, uh, uh, you know, honestly is a challenge because uh, uh, you wonder sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as any person that is a mum of uh, two kids under three, you know, life uh, uh, gets very busy very quickly um, and, and and it's tough. And on top of that, you think about all the other women in your organization um, that uh, uh, maybe have uh, uh, more challenges, uh, that are not in an executive position yet, and how much uh, is, is is it harder and, and more difficult to go up the ladder when you face these challenges uh, day in and day out? Um, so I think it was that, that the first reflection. Uh, but of course, it go way ways wider. Uh, you know, there are ways to support uh, in our in our fund. Uh, and in our fintechs, that's something that I'm very uh, uh, vigilant on. And in the industry, uh, so we are signing, uh, for example, a charter, which is a, a bit like the tech challenge charter in the UK, uh, which is called Sista in France, uh, which ensures that uh, uh, we, will, we will look at the number of deals that we are looking, uh, you know, how many women are pitching, how many women CEO are there, uh, making sure that in the panel where our executives are represented in technology, um, it's sufficiently mixed and diverse, so diverse in a large sense and not only gender, um, but all these, uh, uh, you know, areas that maybe seem simple in a startup when you are working in a big corporate uh, are complicated. And, and some others are, will be around, uh, uh, you know, promoting also um, uh, parental rights for fathers. Uh, and, you know, recently uh, we increase uh, from a one week to two weeks for all the uh, employees of Societe Generale. Uh, but also, you know, when I arrived in Sogjen, I was pregnant. Um, and of course, uh, the, the French convention uh, made that if you are pregnant under nine months, you are uh, not paid for your work. Uh, and so this policy have changed as well. I don't think because of me, but this have changed. So, you know, there are so many things that were not fit for women uh, at work or women that want careers. Uh, that uh, there is a huge catch up to be on. So, yes, there are big initiative, but honestly, it's more. Uh, uh, all small steps and everything you do counts. So most mature organizations uh, have very proper diversity uh, uh, programs that are set from the top with ratio and quotas. And that's what you can observe, observe in the US or in the UK. Um, in France, it's for, you know, obviously, Surgeon is uh, international, but we are headquartered in France. And I will say that it's starting. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, promotion also coming from policies and the government uh, who recently uh, uh, passed the law for uh, 50% at board is now considering 50% in executive committee as well. And, you know, generally my observation having lived in, uh, uh, in the US, in the UK, in France is it starts from a policy agenda that is pushing it through uh, and, and companies have to uh, uh, accelerate at this point their diversity programs, set them up properly and embrace it from uh, gender, family matters, LGBT, 
ethnic minority and all the spectrum. And that's very key in innovation because at the end of the day, you will never generate innovation, especially in the world of today, if your population is not diverse, if your top exec management don't represent your customer base. And, you know, in, in SOCGEN, it's 50% of the customer base is female, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating, isn't it? Because the, um, the, there you've talked about sort of policy and leadership and then also kind of um, organisational cultures and, and, and programmes as well. I'm really fascinated be, uh, to hear from you about to what degree do you engage with the other male colleagues and male champions in driving this change? Or, or do you feel like you're sitting on the edge um, trying to make incremental change yourself in your networks? Or, or actually, is there a wave of support out there as well. I think it's critical to design your scheme with male at the beginning because what you will find is uh, uh, first, uh, you know, diversity is not only a gender problem. It is not only a gender issue. Um, it's a big part of it, but it's much wider and you better be inclusive from the beginning. And, and at the end of the day, the ones that are going to make it are the ones that are in the senior management and they are the, the, the male. And, uh, you know, as much in all organizations I've worked, it's key to design it with, uh, uh, you know, top sponsorship from, uh, uh, from the top exec whatever their gender or their, or their background. Uh, but that's the way uh, uh, you advance. Also promoting, um, you know, their role model stories uh, and, and, you know, going beyond, which is quite difficult, especially in France, you know, opening up about, uh, uh, you know, even if uh, uh, some areas like LGBT uh, are much more accepted now, um, but still, you know, talking about your family matters, talking about how do you struggle to work, about mental health uh, uh, issues from being bipolar or different things, it's, it's really unusual when you are in France. And, you know, I cover countries like Africa, Russia, and in Russia, we have a 50-50% uh, executive committee. Yet, I'm not really sure about, uh, you know, promoting uh, uh, everything from family matters to uh, mental health, which are part fully of the component of what do we do the younger generation expect. And and Gemma, I'd like to bring you in here because Claire's talked about uh, right the way across the spectrum that is diversity inclusion and thinking about sort of mental health and, and maybe perhaps a, uh, a step aside from that is also cognitive diversity and, and the importance of having diversity at the table. Uh, Gemma, tell us about, you know, what we all focus on uh, uh, appealing and attracting and engaging with the breadth of the spectrum as well. Yes. So the way that we've gone about it is instead of going down a tick box route, which has been something that's happened in the past, um, because we want to be inclusive in in fintech, you've got lots of startups. So two guys from the same university setting up a fintech aren't going to tick any of those boxes like a larger organisation would. So we don't want them to be deterred from growing in the right way. We want them still to be part of that conversation on what diversity and inclusion is. So we say, Become a member, make a pledge that you want to be diverse and inclusive, um, and in that we help you on your journey. So we know that we're not going to be, you know, no one can be an expert in every area of diversity, even if you look at, say, for example, LGBTQ+, you know, someone who's lesbian, gay or bisexual isn't necessarily going to know what it's like to be transgender. And so it really must be a journey where we're all listening to each other and learning from experts in their field. So the beauty with being a community is that we can bring those experts in. So last year we did some work with neurodiversity and we took in the National Autistic Society to come in and talk to us as a community, as a membership about how 
how we can not only attract talent from that neurodiverse side of things, but also retain it. Um, Because it's one thing to get someone through the door and understand that there's different ways of um, socially engaging with them for interviews. But then how do you keep them happy and within the organization as well. Um, so it's very much for us a journey and listening to lots of people from lots of different areas, but also giving all of those people a platform to talk and then giving them an audience who will listen to them. So really I'm trying to uh, promote the inclusion side, perhaps more than the diversity, because I think through that diversity breeds itself. And, and I'm intrigued to know sort of what's proving to be harder to overcome. Uh, let me, Jeremy, come to you first of all, then, Claire, I'd like to hear your, your opinions on, you know, what is difficult? Because uh, when we think about the listeners and so we, we shine a light on really positive stuff, but also we need to get to the essence of what's hard. Jeremy, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, what you touched on earlier with, you know, making sure that men are part of the conversation in gender diversity, I think it's making sure that everyone realises they are part of the conversation of diversity. People might, you know, look at themselves and think, okay, I'm not diverse, but everybody is diverse. Everybody comes from a slightly different background and comes at something with a different angle. Um, You know, whether it be the fact that they, you know, maybe they become diverse by becoming a parent during their career, or, you know, what they've, where they've learnt, you know, where they've where they've lived, um, what different socioeconomic backgrounds they've come from. So I think it's really important to make sure that everybody is part of the conversation and that we're not leaving anyone else out because then it's just swinging the pendulum the other way. Um, for example, leaving men out of the gender diversity conversation, all we're doing is if you, somebody once said to me, if you can replace a word with any other word, then you're doing it right. So for example, if you were advertising a job and you said, I want women for this job, if you replace that with I only want men for this job, it would really get a lot of people's backs up. So I don't necessarily agree when people then turn around and say, OK, I want a woman for this job, because I feel like it's just swinging the pendulum the other way in terms of exclusion. Um, so I think we have to really evaluate what we're doing all the time to make sure that we are being inclusive and making sure that everybody has the right to apply for that job or be part of that community or be part of that workplace. Mm-hmm. And, and does that apply also in your world, Claire, or, or do you see a different view? A, a slightly different view. Uh, for me, you know, there are two uh, main issues. Uh, I mean, the first one is about building the pipeline. And we have to remind ourselves that, uh, you know, in STEM, uh, there is uh, less than 20% in general in Europe of uh, women working in STEM. And there are really good research uh, uh, on that. So it's uh, lower than a one to five ratio uh, than uh, most of the other sectors, uh, especially if they are the cross of finance and technology is one of the worst. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and for me, the second one is a business case. Uh, for diversity, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you work in a big company um, and, and there are some change, obviously, uh, upcoming with uh, uh, everything around uh, uh, what we call raison d'être in French, but the mission purpose uh, movement that is coming and taking and uh, obviously, you know, changing the planet, such as, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, climate change impact and different things. Um, but, you know, the, how diversity can be as important in the mindset of people as a a climate change. You know, we know the two degree scenario is not an option. It is not an option because we are not going to be there. Uh, Diversity is never an option because the world we are going to design, especially the world with digital, with moral, ethical, AI, uh, everything that we are going to put on it, if it's not designed by women, ethnic minority background, which type of world are we going to give as a legacy to our children? 
uh, and and that is not yet in the mind of you know top executives of this world because they're still sometime in report to their shareholder. So as I mentioned, this is a movement that is changing, and we've seen this summer. You know, in the uh, last summer in the US, there was a, a big momentum of 200 companies saying like, okay, you know, shareholder value need to be put in perspective of uh, uh, bigger things uh, that are around us and in life. And in Europe, we've been more centric. Uh, you know, around uh, uh, this uh, uh, movement. And obviously, our new commissioner, uh, Ursula, is quite big uh, into this agenda, but it has yet to unfold. And uh, uh, in front of us, we still have China and the growth of China, especially in technology, uh, which, uh, you know, when you observe social credit uh, directly taken from uh, biometry in your face and easily usage of data, um, you know, have questioned uh, this business model cannot exist in Europe uh, and, and surely, uh, you know, diversity are not underpinning them uh, uh, in the large sense of it. So the two areas, talent pipeline, uh, and I went a bit deeper into uh, uh, the case for uh, the business case and business performance, but we know Women at Work will be about uh, uh, 12 trillion of work unlocked globally. You know, when you know that Europe is uh, in a period of low growth, who can afford uh, to not put this talent at work? is my question today, you know. Well, I think that's a beautiful moment to just pause for a second to uh, bring in Cynthia, who's got some research to support today's discussion. In the article, How Family Life is Held Against Women in Tech by Paul Roberts, he states that by the time a woman in tech hits her mid-30s, the age when her male co-workers can expect to see their careers taking off, she's likely to be considering her exit. According to a study published in the Harvard Business Review, 41% of female tech employees will leave the industry after their 10th year on the job, compared with just 17% of men. As tech workers get older and life starts to morph into family life, the balancing act can become trickier for women seeking to start families than for men. While working mothers in every sector struggle to balance work and family, tech's notorious emphasis on long hours and intensive focus may make the struggle especially acute. Stress over work-life balance and a desire for more time with family was second only to pay and promotion as a factor in women's early exit from tech, according to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee study. Thanks, Cynthia. And links to the research can be found on our website, www.diversecitypodcast.com. And don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S. And that's where you can find all our episodes and can sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And Diversity Podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. We'd love a rating because it all helps to promote the show. So it was really interesting uh, what you were saying there, Claire, before about before we went to the break about you know two key areas. One of them being the pipeline, and one of them being about purpose in many ways. Thinking about climate change and thinking about the big you know the big issues that the industries and the world is facing today. Oh, I'm quite keen to come back to this pipeline question because Gemma, that's what you're really focused on. It strikes me in terms of just driving greater diversity into the pipeline. And I suppose there's one key question in my mind, which is how do we accelerate that change? Yeah, I really agreed a lot with what Claire was saying there, and I think it really does. Um, touch home with what we're doing over at Diverse Tech Hub. And um, one of the beautiful things about being a community is that we can really draw on other people's 
ideas there as well. Um, so, for example, in terms of how you can accelerate that, we've got um, Gary Eldon, who had an OBE for his work in diversity working with us. And he also is very passionate, not only about ethnicity, but also about disadvantaged backgrounds. And that's how we came to have him as one of the mentors in our previous STEM projects. So working with children from low income backgrounds and really making sure they make the right decisions and know what opportunities are out there. So what we need to do is offer people the opportunity to actually pay back into society and give them small tangible steps where they can actually get involved. For example, um, with Gary that I spoke about just then, we gave him the opportunity to come in onto this STEM project and mentor these children. Now, People at the top of their game don't necessarily have time to get involved in a huge project, but if they can be part of a community who are collectively making a huge change, but individually can be involved via small tangible steps, then this is a way that we can give everyone the opportunity to really make a difference. They certainly do. And and Claire, sort of final thoughts from you, really, if you would, about sort of how you talk about purpose and you talk about how, you know, kind of the world is facing some really big questions at the moment. And I guess one of my big questions in my head is, you know, kind of where do you start and what's really going to make a difference at the moment? Your, your, your thoughts on that? So I think the first thing is really to understand well the conclusions uh, at the moment. And they are a bit dramatic, you know, Julia, because when we look, you know, in Europe, you've seen some of the survey done by the World Economic Forum, uh, but uh, between October and November is the date when women start, you know, generally to work for free. You know, how do we change that? I mean, like, how long is it going to take? And the reports say it's going to take 100 years. Do we have 100 years to, to wait? Uh, you know, we, we are talking about the numbers, about the number of women that are entering STEM today, and they are still beyond 20%. And even if we take initiative, how, how much is it going to raise? One, two percent per year for the next 10 years? I mean, that's not going to be possible. So I think the first one is really to integrate the conclusion and know the numbers and to have very clear data about what's going on. Because when you realize it, and when you look at your children, how can you live with that? And that's when you start to take action. And there, I will go back to what Gemma was saying, which is, you know, we just have to make very tangible steps. And policy can be a big lever in terms of changing. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, quotas and ratios that have been observed in industry. They start to move the line and they offer opportunities for, you know, women and men of different generations to put, you know, the conversation in the table and to say, I don't want to work in this type of organization. My future of work, what I want to do in my life is a little bit different. So what I will say is, you know, policy, giving back the voice, you know, to the ones that will be working in these companies of the future and co-designing and co-building it. And anyway, now it's a requirement because, you know, when you when when you want to recruit talent, if you don't do it, they will just go to companies uh, that offer this type of policies because the new generation, you know, this is what they want. They don't want the money. They want to make sure what they do have an impact and is inclusive, you know, by design in everything they do. And I don't think we've integrated fully that uh, uh, in our uh, w- in our ways that we manage, uh, you know, companies, even if it's starting. And I will say the third lever for me is definitely to take the step of digital and innovation because, you know, digital is definitely changing. It's it's driven by consumer, but it's changing the way we consume. It's changing, you know, customer expectation. It have to, you know, we have to redesign organization 
because of this major trend. And there's never been a better opportunity when you drive digital and innovation to really contribute to this agenda and to take this step. And yes, it's required to go a little bit further from the day-to-day job, but like, is it not worthwhile? It is most definitely worthwhile. And it's been the most fantastic conversation. I've said, I've really enjoyed the fact that we've looked at this question around talent and technology from many different perspectives. So I just want to take a moment. Gemma, it's been great to have you on Skype, particularly middle of half term. So thank you so much for joining us and Claire to have you in London from Paris to take the time to be with us. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Street's Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsania for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.